it's another, another Vet of Wine podcast, and this time, it's all about beer. I'd better go and have a word with the guests. Why don't you have another Vat of Wine, dear? <laughs> Gosh, Niddy, what a lovely bouquet. Yes, it's a fine bunch of red rosés! <laughs> Tiptoe to the window, and the window is where I'll be. Tiptoe through the tulips. I definitely want some of what those guys are on. Welcome to another Vat of Wine with Chris Buchanan. And yes, today we're talking beer. And instead of sharing a bottle of wine between us, Jeffrey Rudolfser, the guy behind Urban Brewery in Hart Bay in the Cape, and I will be tasting a few of his crafted beers and getting to understand what really makes a craft beer. For Jeff, this is a passion project within which he takes the finest ingredients he can get his hands on and personally stands over each step of the brew process. On the afternoon we had our chat, Jeff was busy with his Oktoberfest lager. He had completed the lautering process and was busy with the boil. By the end of our chat, the beer would have been transferred to the fermentation vessels, the yeast added, and the slow conversion of sugar to alcohol and carbon dioxide was about to begin. We were interrupted on several occasions during our tasting and interview while Jeff was summoned into the brewery to oversee each of the phases. Call it a working tasting, if you like. Urban Brewery is at the end of the Harbour Road in Hart Bay, next door to the market venue and across the road from Snookies. It is a working brewery and tap room or pub, so the background noise is that of beer being made, one or two fellows enjoying a pint and having a game of Jenga. Why Hart Bay, you ask? Well, one reason is the water. Well, first of all, I mean, water is 93% of the product, so yeah, it's, it's really special in, in terms of making the beer. And what's special about the water is it's sourced from the mountain in Hart Bay, from the local uh, wine farm, Hart Bay Vineyards. They've got a spring. Uh, sometimes we struggle with to get the water, but um, we, have a, we have a water trailer, 1,000 litres, and we are fetching, we're collecting that water. Perfect, perfect brewing water. We don't do anything apart from filtering a little bit of particulates that might be in it, we don't change the water at all. It's perfect for brewing. So you, you say Heart Bay, Heart Bay Vineyards. Watch the podcast space because there will be something on Heart Bay Vineyards um, within this release of this next series. You were brought up in Heart Bay. Your, your folks are Heart Bay Vineyards. Correct. Um, you went into brewing. Did you not think of staying within the family and, and um, continuing the family business of Heart Bay Vineyards? I guess we continue the family business of uh, alcohol. <laughs> um, secretly, everybody says we're turning Hot Bay into a bunch of alcoholics, but uh, trust me, Hot Bay was a bunch of alcoholics before we came along. <laughs> Nothing new about that? No. Yeah. Tell me a bit about yourself. Um, where did you school? I uh, went to Weinberg Boys yeah. High School. For high school, before that, the local international school, the junior school. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a Cape Town boy, you know. And did you study? Did you uh, did you go to university and I did and try your I hand did. at that? I did. I, let's say I tried my hand. I managed two years of Stellenbosch, mm. um, and that's all I could take of Stellenbosch. And after two years, I said, no, it's, it's enough. I couldn't I couldn't do any more of it. So. Brewing is something that people get into either as an enthusiast, a home brewer, an escalated 
to becoming more of the craft beer, and which, which we'll talk about specifically later. How did you get into it? Why, why, why did brewing appeal to you? You know, it's funny. Um, I never intended to get into craft brewing. I enjoyed craft beer and knew nothing about it. Um, and I went and worked uh, at Mitchell's Brewery in Neisner. I went for a year as a contract. Um, I went to go and help them build their new brew house. And so the first batch of beer I brewed was with them under the, the, the head brewer at the time, and that was 3,000 liters. And then I got into home brewing after that, and I came back to Hard Bay. Okay, so yeah. setting this up, I mean, yeah. this is an operation. Yeah. Did it start with one fermentation tank, one kettle, or did you, did you plan it to be a... A situation like it is now. Yeah, no, we definitely planned it. We knew from the outset what we wanted. Um, yeah, we, we knew that we knew the batch sizes we wanted to do. We knew that it had to be a brewery with a tap room. That's the best formula at the end of the day. Um, and so we built all our equipment around it. And nearly what you see now is what we started with. We just added to the fermentation vessels the, the capacity of the cellar as we've gone on. Where do you get this kit? We built it ourselves. We built our own kit. Um, I designed it on the computer, uh, my, my father and I. Um, we did the engineering work behind it, did the technical drawings, and we had it built for us uh, by a company in Wellington. So they built the vessels. Uh, we brought the vessels back here, and then we had um, a contact with somebody who does stainless steel welding, especially the piping work. And him and I worked together, and we we laid all the piping for everything. And it was many. There was a lot of us that went into it. Well, it looks like it. Hum, hum. Let's let's talk capacities mm. because uh, uh, if one looks through into the brewing room, you've got a, quite a few fermentation tanks. You, yeah. What what is the capacity? And well, let's start. Of what is the ideal capacity if you want to call yourself a craft brewer? What is the ideal kind of brewing capacity, one beer at a time? You know, there's no technical, there's no technical answer for it. Um, I don't know what defines quite what defines the difference between craft to micro. You can you can define craft to industrial scale, um, but our capacity is 500 liters a batch with a capacity of us a maximum of seven and a half thousand liters a month um, and we're, we're small we're one of the smallest there are guys who, who will still be uh, labeled craft brewery and they are maybe doing 20,000 liters a month is that craft beer that is, is that craft brewing? in my in my mind in my mind that's still craft craft uh, that's still craft beer 20,000 is not a lot of beer um, <laughs> can drown me in one of those. <laughs> Fine. I mean, you can think that uh, SAB does, you know, over a million liters uh, a month. Yeah. So twenty thousand in the big picture is tiny. Where's the definition? Is there a definition? Can we put craft beer and say this is what craft beer is in a box? Um, okay. Yes, you can say what you can say what craft beer is. Um, what is it? <laughs> Jeez, uh, okay, now that you asked me, I don't know the answer. Um, sure. It's authentic. It's genuine. 
it's not mass produced it doesn't lack flavor it um, can be not the purest of beers um, it can have uh, unwanted flavors um, it can have amazing flavors it doesn't doesn't lack in this it's it's beer brewed by the brewery by the brewer that's genuinely passionate um, and like myself served to the customers here it's not um, it's not a beer with a huge uh, logistic backforce behind it sending it nationwide sometimes international it's local it's from what's from that area from that town or that city that that is what could define craft beer. That would be my definition of craft beer, is to come to a place like Harpe, yeah, enjoy your beer, knowing yeah. that when I go back to Joburg, or if I go back to Bourbon or wherever I live, mm. um, I'm unlikely to find that beer. And so it's a place where if I'm, I can come back down to Harpe and, yeah. and sit here and enjoy one of these beers and understand that this is where it is. It happens here. Yeah. It stays here. It doesn't travel well. It because it's not meant to travel well. No. It's, it's meant to. It lives in Harper. Yeah. Um, but has though have those lines blurred a little? In a few cases, in a few cases, sure. Some people certainly feel that way. Um, just to make another argument, um, the biggest craft brewer in South Africa now, I'm not going to mention them but the biggest craft brewer in South Africa would be considered a small craft beer in a small craft brewery a very small craft brewery in America so sure it's different it's different markets I understand that um, and I think in cases yeah there are some blurred lines and it also comes down to the consumer to the person listening it comes down to them. You know, what, what do they enjoy? Sure, maybe they really enjoyed that beer that might be a blurred line. They might really enjoy it because they might want a beer that doesn't have as much flavor, for instance, as a spice beer we're drinking at the moment. You know, there's massive flavors in it. They might not particularly enjoy that. They might, they might enjoy the beer they can have eight of. Okay, let's talk about the beers, because yeah. I arrived earlier, you were busy, yeah. and um, I had the Dungeons Stout Ale. Yes. Um, chocolate. Lots. Rich, warm. Mm. On a day like today, and to describe to the listener, it's a miserable day yeah. in Heart Bay. It's raining buckets, it's cold, and that Stout Ale, for me, just... It's like Guinness in Ireland. It just warms your heart. It's yeah. a lovely, lovely, rich, warm, chocolatey taste. Yeah. Um, and yet, you were saying earlier on that it takes time to develop those flavors. It takes, it takes a long time to develop those flavors. The, long, the longer you keep it, the better. Correct, correct. So, um, yeah, I mean, about our, about our start... Correct. Lots of chocolate, lots of roasted flavors. People, um, people say roasted is coffee. Um, so people say, oh, it's coffee flavor. That's correct in a sense. But 
ro- coffee has the flavor of roastedness. So there's lots of roast on the start, about some chocolate. In the beginning, I pick up hints, hints of uh, red fruit. Um, that's yeast characteristic coming through on the start. Nice, full body. It's got that citrusy element to it, but it's got yes, that warmth. Okay. But it's got the warmth, and that's mm. the higher fermentation temperature that's bringing out those warmer alcohols. And then what I was saying to you earlier, I mean, what's fantastic to do with the start, and I do it nearly at all of my friends' houses. I take bottles of start, and I chuck it in the back of their fridge, and I, and I do it at home as well. And I say, just forget about that bottle. Just leave it there for the next four to five months. Forget about it. Make sure, obviously, it's dark in a dark place. It's cold. It's standing upright. And go and have it after five months. And how it's matured with age is quite phenomenal. And a lot of people don't know that, but beer, especially craft beer, matures with age. Not all styles, most, a lot of styles, but then beer matures with age. Uh, the Oktoberfest I'm brewing today, ideally I want it in the tank for three months until I release it for my Oktoberfest. The element to beer, we've got water, we've mm. talked about the water, you've talked about this roasted element, that comes from the barley, that comes from, Correct. from the, 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 the gluten, if you like, that you're putting into the beer. Where do you source that from? Who does that for you? Or do you do it yourself? So we, we do that ourselves. Um, we get it from a supplier, a local supplier in Cape Town. Um, and we are, we are purchasing vitamins, which is definitely within the top four, the top three malting houses in the world, uh, which is from Germany. One of the oldest. Um, that's where we get our malt from. And it's important, the malt characteristic, you know. We, can, we could get the local malt that's grown in SA. Unfortunately, it's just not of the same quality. And, and why is that? Is, is, it, is it just the attention to detail? Or is it just that like, we haven't been doing it long enough? It, it could you know, It's experience. It's the, the technology in the, brew, in, in the malt house. The experience of the malsters. Um, and the, the regions where the barley is grown. I don't, not, the stands to be corrected, but I don't think maybe SA has the best climate for growing barley. Whereas uh, this German brew house, I think they're purchasing their barley from uh, fields in France and Spain. And I think those are where some of the best barley in the world grows. Yeah. That's one bit. Now we're talking Weiss beer. Now, Weiss, if you don't know German, means wheat. Yes. So it's not a barley beer. It's a wheat beer, and it once again it's rich with flavour. It's got a bit of aniseed in it. It's got citrus. It's got banana. It, yeah, yeah. It's got tropical fruit with mm. citrus, with mm. with some spiciness that yeah. comes through the, in the anise and, and, and the clove. Vice beer, and completely different. If you put stout and vice beer together, they <laughs> they look completely different. But this is a you were saying earlier is is a, is a good beer to to brew. It's a it's, yeah. a it's a relatively easy and good beer to brew. So the the what's nice about this beer is you want to drink vice beer young. So that's what's nice about it. You know, it only takes up a, a fermentation vessel for three weeks. For us, a fermentation and the maturation vessel is one in the same. 
So it takes up a vessel for, for three weeks. Um, it's not the easiest to brew when it comes to actual brew day. It's got a, quite a complicated um, uh, malting, uh, uh, mashing step, sorry, very complicated mashing steps. You know, we're starting from really low temperatures, ending up with really high temperatures. That's because you're extracting different sugars. And that's where you're getting a lot of these different sugars. And when they ferment, they are creating these different flavors. So you just were describing all these flavors, which is accurate. That's because of this, this, these mashing procedures. So there's banana, there's clove, there's this, what, what a lot of people like to refer to as this bubblegummy flavor. Um, and it's just, it's got a lot of flavor to this vice beer. And it's, it's nice and thick on the mouthfeel. Uh, it's got the, like a bit of a bready characteristic. So, yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic beer. And it's 50% wheat to 50% barley. Okay, so it's, not, yeah. it's not, pure, not pure wheat? No, I don't know of any styles that actually brewed with pure wheat. Um, I, I, you will have nightmares in the brew house if you brew yeah. with pure wheat. So, yeah. Yeah, just a little bit about the recipe. Then we're using um, a vice beer yeast, obviously, as you should be. So, vice beer, the characteristic, the, the, the flavor characteristic is all brought out by the yeast. That's, so, so, you get different, you know, where you get your flavors from in beer. One, obviously, is the malt you're putting in. Second is the hops. And third is the yeast. And vice beer is not a clear beer. You get some clear vice beers. But generally, a, a Hefeweizen is a cloudy beer, and that is yeast that is in suspension. And it's those yeast flavors that you are tasting that make it so characterful. Do they linger, or do they, once you finish brewing the beer, or, yes. or, or, or does yeast continue to have an effect on the beer over time? Um, it, will have, it will age the beer slightly quicker. Um, but no, the fer- once the fermentation is done, it's done. Once it's reached its terminal gravity, so where it where it ends, it's done fermenting. Unless you really heat it up, expose it to a lot of sunlight, maybe other bacteria, then it will ferment again. Um, but no, once it's once it's done, it's pretty much the same. What will happen over time? You will lose the banana characteristics the banana characteristic and the clove characteristic will um, present itself so more. Fruit, more spice. Correct. Okay. Correct. So if you are wanting to um, have a vice beer with less of that fruity characteristic, which is which is quite nice to have a spicy vice beer, then you then you just age it for longer, then release it, you know, five weeks later instead of two weeks after fermentation. You also do a, a blonde, you do a, a, a cider, mm. and you do a pilsner. Correct. Now, uh, pilsner, from a home brewing perspective, is a tricky beer to do. Yeah. Is it as tricky from, a, from a, 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 a scaled up perspective? So for us, uh, for us, no. So like I said in the beginning, we knew what we wanted to do. And the beer that all of us love and enjoy the most is a Pilsner. So when we designed our system, we designed and we designed our amenities. So what goes, what's in the background of your of your brew house and of your your cellar and your facilities, we designed it that we can achieve minus one and a half degrees on our tanks. So that's lagering temperatures. Um, 
and when it comes to brewing a pilsner or a lager, so all all pilsners are lagers, but not all lagers are pilsners. Yeah. Um, explain it. Explain it. So, so okay, fine. To explain it, uh, a lager is, is to store in German. Uh, correct. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the, the exact translation, but yeah, it's something like that. Um, so there's two two styles of beer. You have ales and you have lagers. Uh, what determines what really determines the styles is the yeast you use. One is what they refer to as a top fermenting yeast, and the other is a, bo- a bottom fermenting. And don't ask me which ones, which I never remember, which is the top fermenting and which is the bottom fermenting. Um, so a lager, I think, is the, I'm going to guess now, is the top fermenting, what they call the top fermenting yeast. And that produces certain characteristics, and it ferments at a colder t- uh, temperature. So generally you'll ferment a lager anywhere between 9 degrees to 14 degrees. And your ales ferment warmer anywhere from 17 degrees up to 24, 25 degrees. Um, And those difference in temperatures um, have a big effect on the flavor profile of your end product. So colder temperature, uh, less energy, so slower fermentation, um, and you're producing those really clean, really crisp flavors, whereas your higher temperatures, you're producing more of your fruity flavors. And if you're going higher to the 24 side, you are producing what's commonly referred to as your warm alcohol. So these really big uh, alcohols, some of them you can pick it up in the start, these big warm alcohols. Um, and so those are your two different styles. In the ales category, there are so many different kinds of beers. Vice beer falls into an ale, for instance. A blonde ale, for, of course. Um, an Indian pale ale. They all kind of end with ale. Um, and then in your lager character, category, you've got your Oktoberfest lager, which technically is a Miatzen lager. You've got your Pilsners. You've got your American lagers, your European lagers, um, and, and Pilsner. I don't know if I said that. And so those are your two styles. So hence why all pilsners are lagers, but not all lagers are pilsners. So the, the, the pilsnering aspect, you said you, you started off, you built this around the pilsner? Yes. And so what are the specific characteristics of the pilsner that suit your brewery? Or that your brewery so, is suited toward? So we we get an extremely we get a very clean pilsner so there are there's no off flavors in it so we have an ex- firstly we have our, our lautering method um, virtually no particulate goes through to the pilsner so that's kind of almost your first step of filtering in the process so you're not taking any bits of barley through to your kettle all right then in the kettle we have an extreme we have quite a vigorous boil you know we're boiling off almost like six percent of our liquid and in the boil what happens is when you have a vigorous boil you are boiling off unwanted flavors volatiles where if you didn't do that those will stay in your beer all the way until fermentation you'll never pick them up and until fermentation your yeast will act upon it and it will present itself as an off off flavor Um, one known as DMS, which got like a bit of a sulfury characteristic. So that's the second thing. The third thing 
We have what's called a plate heat exchanger, which is a way to cool down your product after boil. We cool down about 550 liters from 90 degrees to 8 degrees in 15 minutes. So you want to cool it down as rapidly as possible. That's a, that's uh, like the second step of fermentation. If you cool down rapidly, you kind of start to um, force out protein that was in the beer that you don't want. Pro- protein is what creates haze in beer. Okay. And so you force that out. And then, like I said, it, the Pilsner will go through its two weeks of fermentation, a bit less, a week and a half of fermentation. After that, we will cool it to minus one. And then that is your lagering and it will stay at minus one. And that is your lagering temperatures. You pick up a lot of characteristic. You pick up more of this, this crispiness, bring out this crispiness to the beer. More work. A lot more work. <laughs> a lot more work. And a lot of attention to detail. And it's not just the Pilsner. It's with all beers. It's a lot of constant monitoring, you know, day in, day out, monitoring of the beers, tasting it, making sure it's okay. From once you brewed it, even during while you're brewing you know if you want to be a good brewer you have to taste every single step you have to taste everything that goes into the beer you know you can't put something into the beer and and if you can't taste it don't put it into the beer if you wouldn't wouldn't, uh, put it in your mouth don't put it in the beer have a Jenga gone wrong yeah (laughs) we are in a a working brewery and a a tap room so People don't understand that brewing, you know, brewing just, so in the old days they just boiled a whole lot of stuff up, added some yeast, mm. and made beer. Mm. But it's become, a, I mean, an extraordinarily sophisticated craft. It has. In it terms has. of getting your desired taste, but the next thing, consistency. How do you maintain consistency? As a so like you said, back in the old days, they just used to kind of chuck it in uh, the fermentation for them. They, probably, they might have thought about fermentation as a bit of like a voodoo magic. You know, they didn't know what yeast was. They would just leave their beer standing in a vat outside and by magic it would just change. And that would be wild yeasts acting upon the sugars in the beer. Um, and as time has gone, as humanity's obviously gone on, we've progressed and we've had technological changes, and those have gone into the brew house. So I have a degree of automation to my brew house. Um, you know, I can easily regulate my temperatures. I can hit precise temperatures through the brew house. I can control my pump speeds. Um, I can control how vigorous my boil is. Um, this, so this, it's that that technology is that's it, is gone it an into element it. of craft beer that it shouldn't be that consistent that maybe it's like a wine it's, you know it's, uh, a 2016 we're looking at now people are calling 2017 a great vintage because the mm. the, the, the grapes are different the climate less water in the grapes so uh, a vintage from one year to the next although you call it the same name mm might have its subtle differences. Is that what craft beer is about as well? There, there is. There is always, uh, um, there are always subtle differences. Generally, it's not picked up by the um, odd or sometimes even more fairly regular customer. 
it's picked up by the likes of myself, the people who really come in here week in and week out. They will pick up those differences because they know, they're very used to the product. You know, I'm tasting the product nearly every single day. And by this stage, I'm intimate with it. So small differences, yes, I pick up. It's not, it's not the same. It's not the same. Um, he has a little story about the vice beer. So, like, we've always had this very involved, um, involved recipe. And our vice beer started off as quite a spicy vice beer. And slightly sweeter. And also, let me add in here, I learned to brew from my mentor and brew master, a gentleman by the name of Jörg Finkeldai. And the brewery and myself would not be here if it were not for him. He bit of background on him. A bit of okay, so some background. He started a he, Namibian. He's Namibian German. Uh, he studied engineering at UCT. He then went and learned about brewing in Germany, um, and he did some apprenticeship in Germany and few years went by he was selling brew houses in America he sold about 350 brew houses in America as a qualified brew master he then came home to Namibia where he started a brewery called Camelthorn in about 2008 kind of when the craft scene craft beer scene yeah, took off kind of, craft yeah becoming yeah the thing to talk about. With, the, with, with the likes of Boston and Jack Black and yeah. things like that yeah. and he, he was in Namibia and he was selling pretty much all the all of his beer in Cape Town of course in some in and around Bintuk and I don't think the sales were the best and everything was being sold nearly in Cape Town because people were drinking craft beer down here and of course sending beer and he was uh, a big brewery but not 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 small uh, he was chipping it down and that's costly it was extremely costly so he had to cut back on margins and and that's where he, he ran into troubles with that, unfortunately. And there just wasn't, I don't think, quite the uptake. So he ended up selling the brewery to Nam Breweries. And a while after, he moved to Hout Bay. And my father and I met him at Hout Bay Vineyards at one of the open days. And he, he came to the open day and he put some beers on the table and he gave it to my, to my stepmom and to my dad. He said, Oh, he has some beers for you. And they didn't know each other from a bar of soap. And so my dad and New York started chatting. And this, and we were currently, we had just moved into our premises here. We, there was nothing here in our premises. It was an empty shell. So we were building everything. You know, I was laying bricks and building the wall and doing the stonework, uh, redoing the floors and painting and doing the drainage for where the brew house was going to be and then he got involved he came and he assisted he showed us some very important things we never missed things we never would have known about because we didn't have the, the the experience on our side he's got 30 years of experience in brew houses so things come to him of course because of the experience so he pointed these things out we're like oh my word that makes so much sense but of course he never would have known about it and so he stayed on. He helped develop the recipe. He developed the recipes, and he trained me. He took me under his wing, and he trained me up. And like I say, we would not be here without him.
How many stories of craft breweries in this country do you find where somebody meets some guy in a retirement village <laughs> or a pub yeah. in the middle of nowhere and they're starting a, a, a craft brewery and they meet a guy who used to work for breweries for 30 years yeah. and he, he's got nothing to do. Yeah. And he comes and helps them yeah. refine a product that they may have spent so much longer refining. Mm. Okay, I don't know. Don't, I don't know of any other stories, but I'm, I've no doubt that that happens. Well, there's a guy in Port Alfred. Uh, oh, really? Port Alfred, and he found a he found a retired. Uh, there's a brewery in George. He found a retired guy living in George. He used to work for breweries, mm. and he used to mm. come. And I mean, uh, if you hadn't have found him, that might have been an, uh, a, a, an uphill battle for you oh, yeah. to have oh, yeah. discovered those things on your own that yeah. you wouldn't have necessarily had the shortcut to. Yeah. So Jorg and I, in the beginning, he was, you know, he's been with us for three years and now we've been going for about three and a half years. Um, we always tweaked the, we, we always just used to do small tweaks to the Weissbier. We added a little bit to that fruity side, took away slightly from the, the, the spicy side. We um, took away a little bit of the sweetness, made it slightly drier because we listened to the feedback what customers gave back to us we also did it what we enjoyed we also tweaked it how we enjoyed and every year for each comp each competitions that used to be held in south africa we used to submit the vice beer and we would, we would hope oh, it'd be so nice to get an award for the vice beer and we didn't we never got any awards until obviously all the tweaks had just come into place and it we had found the vice beer that we were most happy with. We, like we said, we started releasing it even earlier, and we submitted to the competition. And just, I um, guess, two months ago, we took gold for our vice beer at the African the Beer Cup. So it just goes to show, you know, that those three years, Shift those slight like anything tweaks, in life, hard work, it pays off. Yeah, it takes time, doesn't it? It does. It takes sweat and energy. It does. Yeah. yeah talk about the business yeah you know um craft beer people perceive it as, a, as an expensive thing to to consume but if you look at what you guys have are up against in terms of volume in terms of margins yeah in terms of i mean let's face it the the, the duty that sits with alcohol and beer mm. and record keeping and those kind of things it's it's a difficult business. It's not something you can wake up one morning and say, I'd like to build a brewery, let me throw a whole lot of money at it and mm. start making beer and make mm. a success of it. It's a, mm. It seems it to is. be a, a, a really tough road. It's a, it's a tough industry. It, it's a tough industry. The, mark, the market is quite tough. We entered just as, the, as I, I think, just as the market was getting really tough. I think when we entered, there was about... 180 breweries through South Africa. I think there's maybe about 220 now. Um, yeah, no. Look, it is. It's not a. It's not an easy business. It's a difficult business plan, and everybody will tell you that it's volumes based. You know, that's where you make your margins off of those those volumes. We we very much. From the outset, like I said, we knew what we wanted to do when we when we came into the business. We had this idea, and we stuck by our guns. Um, at the time, I think our tap room was probably one of the most expensive 
not no, no, not one of the most expensive beers, but for but for a brewery with its own tap room, we were definitely right up at the top with in our price range. And everybody, and now everybody today is at our price. Everybody's bumped up their prices, and it's now at our price. Um, and we we just refuse to to be to bend to this mindset that it's volumes based. We just refuse to to bend to that mindset. So we we say, okay, this is what our beer is. This is what goes into it. We've got one of the best brewers in the country, Jörg Finkeldahl. Um, we buy the, one of the most expensive malts you can get. In fact, two, two, two different kinds of malt. Vyman and, and uh, Simpsons, which is coming from Scotland. They're not cheap malts. The hops that we're importing. You know, for the Pilsner, we're importing a, a very special hop. That's not a cheap hop either. Um, and then everything that else that goes into it, you know, uh, the staff that goes into our business, you know, um, refuse to pay. I mean, we could pay minimum wage, but we refuse to pay minimum wage. And so that all obviously adds up. And, but what, but what do you get for it? You are getting a fantastic beer that I'm telling you now, you drink this vice beer. When you come back in two years' time, the vice beer is the same, if not better. If you tasted my Pilsner that it was three years ago, and my Pilsner, when we started brewing it, it was not never a bad beer, it was never a shit beer, that Pilsner is definitely better than what it was. And we are, we are really producing the best product that we can. No compromise, absolutely no compromise. And that's what goes into making these beers. So for that, we we put we have to be at the pricing that we are. And like I say, we are up on the high end. We're definitely of one of the high, more pricier, but but not ashamed of it. But not ashamed of it at all. Not at all. Not at all. You know that it is what it is. And you know you can go and you can go buy jeans from Pip. You can go buy jeans from Pep. Sure, they're going to maybe last you five months. It's going to be an inferior denim. Might maybe going to last you five months. Or you can go to Levi's and spend that extra whatever it's going to be, 400, 500 rand. But you know that your Levi's, I'm wearing Levi's from six years ago. It's that quality. It's that quality. You're going to buy my beer now. It's the same as you're going to buy it in 10 years' time. If not better, yeah. it's that quality. When we don't compromise on it, so you you pay for quality. When you're going through your when you're going through your your mashing and stuff, it's very it's very hands on. You know, you're always you're adjusting the pump speeds and you're adjusting your valves. It's very hands on. And as the day goes on, with the way we design our system, uh, you bring back to back. So we bring a thousand liters a day, and we bring back to back. But at the end of the day, from about half past three, four o'clock onwards, you're only sitting with one brood. When it comes like a little bit lethargic because, like I say, been at it since five o'clock, and it's it's really hands-on, you know. It's it's um, it's manual labor. It's like it's like, like the wine industry harvest. It's crazy. It's, I know. I know. And it's madness, and it's two weeks of insanity, and yeah. then everything goes into barrels or into tanks, and then you. Wait. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I've spent. Yeah. I have spent days upon days just driving grapes up and down 
in hard pay. Yeah. From the vineyard up to the cellar, from the village up to the cellar, and it, uh, and then you go with like a harvest. Um, you go when the grapes are ready, and you don't know what day it's going to be, and you got to harvest that entire lot. And I know my old man will <laughs> sit until sometimes three, four o'clock in the morning, and having started at probably six o'clock, and you'll. And you'll just be pressing the entire day. Yeah, but go and visit a, go and visit a wine farm in, <laughs> in August and you think, what do these guys actually do? Do they actually do any work? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about craft beer again. And where does this, where does this industry evolve? Where, where does it go to? Um, you, know, you get pineapple beers and you get beetroot beers and you get mm. mango beers. Mm. And guys are making beer out of anything. Muddy boots beers. <laughs> Where is it? Is it going to rationalise itself into the pilsners, the ales? Uh, you know, a few experimentations there, or is it? Is it? A, is it a bed for experimentation? Is it? Is it a bed for innovation and development? Well, it's only going to get more wacky. It's only going to get more wacky, and that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. As, as brewers, we like to think, as brewers, first and foremost, we're kind of scientists. But we are extremely artistic. And, you know, the water is our canvas, if you can say. And we want to experiment. We want to push the boundaries. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to push the boundaries? Why, why be confined in a box? And... The two gentlemen that were sitting and playing Jenga just now, they just told my uh, barman that they have created a peanut butter crunchy ale. Now, I don't like peanut butter. <laughs> I hate peanut butter. But that's whack. That's whack. And it's not for everybody. It's, you're going to have one bottle, two bottles. You're going to have one pint, two pints every now and then. But there are some certain styles that are, are, are completely different. And if some of these tra- really traditional, let's say some really traditional German brew houses in Germany, if they heard of what some people were doing, they'd probably just about have a heart attack. You get this, there's a style of beer now which has become very popular. they called Sours. And people are introducing if you can say bad bacteria, are introducing wild yeasts into their beer. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the sourest thing is something if you're a home brewer and you get it, you throw your brew away. Yeah, but there are, there are brewers that are doing that and are doing it successfully. And they can 90% of the time get it quite consistent. Now, of course, that's, it's, that's a difficult thing because it's a wild yeast you're working with. But there are amazing beers the the different the different sort of flavors you get out of it is it's fantastic you as you're a you're a wine lover right wine and beer wine and beer fine if it's got an alcohol percentage i'll drink (laughs) i'll agree with you (laughs) guys are blending wine grape wine juice unfermented virgin grape juice but with the grape skins with an unfermented beer sugar water 
now putting it in a barrel and now co-fermenting it and I, I think that's a fantastic fantastic boundary that's good, between, I mean, between really wine lovers and beer yeah, lovers uh, for, for South Africa particularly yeah, if you look at the particularly, cake exactly. know, the, the, that kind of fusion of wine and beer mm. I think is, a, mm. is something that that, that is untapped. Are there any other untapped areas within beer that, that you're prepared to experiment with, or are you happy with your with your five or six um, different varietals, your different your different profiles of beer, or mm. are you are we going to see a so crackle? <laughs> no, you won't because I don't like because I don't like peanuts. <laughs> don't worry, you won't see one of those. Um, that style I just mentioned about the wine infused beer I think that's an untapped market I know of two that I can think off the top of my head I know of two and they're already doing it quite well but I think there's definitely a space to do it bigger on a bigger scale and really push it out there put the marketing behind there go and actively drive incentivize people to taste it to try this the style um, and to teach people that don't think of it maybe as a wine or don't think of it maybe as a beer because ah, it's kind of it's neither well, as, as in if Belgium did it for a long time with the with, with their fusion of, of wine yes. and beer yeah, so well, this is way it's not a new thing but no. it perhaps needs a bit more of a footprint needs Definitely. more of a fingerprint a, 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 and I think a mark. and it can it can really work here in Cape Town where you've got the leading craft beer industry and the leading wine industry it can work here mm. and to as a brewery to collaborate with a winery and do it you know a brewery is always happy to make friends with a winery because we, we need wine barrels when we want to do our sours and we want to do like I've got my my barrel aging for, for the stout the craft beer industry it's, it's uh, there was a mushroom and it seems to have leveled out. It seems to have rationalized mm. itself a little bit. Mm. Um, are there enough players in the market? Are there too many players in the market? Would you like to see more players in the market? Is competition a good thing? More, more is better because at the moment the craft, craft beer is 1% of the beer industry. All right? More breweries just mean more people are being educated to craft beer. So say somebody in Constantia opens a brewery right now he starts tapping into the Constantia market which is predominantly wine drinkers he starts tapping into that market so now those he makes he makes regulars out of those beers uh, out of the out of out of those people but now they start coming to Hart Bay and they taste our beers the next thing we get an extra customer and then they go to whoever in Woodstock and they go to whoever in Cape Town and now they start drinking some other craft beers because they're not just going to drink one beer. There's people in Hart Bay who, who are regulars who come down here, but they don't only drink our craft beer. They started off with us, they don't only drink our craft beer. And before you ask me about, you know, where is the industry going and things, when we started, I couldn't tell you. But what's happening right now is breweries who are producing beer and consistently, inconsistently, whatever it is, are suffering, who are producing bad, who are producing bad beer. 
are suffering and unfortunately a few of them unfortunately slash fortunately because uh, a shitty craft beer produced reflects badly on a, on the craft beer industry as a whole you know somebody who now wants goes and pays 50 rand a pint and has a shitty beer is not going to go well I'm not going to go and try another craft beer you know they're probably all one and the same so what's happening now is guys who are producing bad craft beer are start and and inconsistently are, are struggling and some have closed down already because the, it is now a, a more educated craft beer market. Guys know when a beer is sour. When it started, people didn't know when the beer was sour. They didn't know when the beer was the bad. Tide, isn't it? Yeah, it you, they, they might have like picked up the beer and said, "Oh, man, it tastes like <laughs> it tastes like nail polish. This is amazing. Nail polish is that's a bad flavor. Now people know this. Nail polish is a bad flavor." They're not going to buy that beer again. They're going to tell their mates, hey, that was shitty beer, don't buy that one. And so that's what's happening. A few years ago, there was a, 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 an organization in, in the UK called Camera, Campaign for Real Ale, mm-hmm. um, which campaigned for the, the real ales back in pubs rather mm-hmm. than the mass market. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it lost a lot of momentum because what it was campaigning for became the mainstream and um, it would be it would be a pity to lose that fundamental of the craft of beer so mm-hmm. watching you with your kettles mm-hmm. watching you laundering watch, watching you teaching somebody else and putting it into an industrial machine under the name of craft beer purely because it's a cool thing because I can give it a badass name like Punching People Pale Ale, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's a good name, I might use that one day. Because <laughs> I, I just find the book a badass name, you know? Beer's really badass. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's true. you know, Knuckle Duster or yeah. Slap the Dog, this ale or that ale. And, um, you know, it, it would be a pity for this to lose momentum for the craft beer movement in South Africa or in our country to lose momentum yeah. because it gets absorbed and, and, and becomes just another industry. How do we keep it craft? One sentence. How do we keep this craft? Is it you being there? The brewer being there? It's, it's, it it's, up, to the, it's yeah. up to the breweries. There's no one person who can keep the industry craft. It's up to the breweries, the brewery owners, and the brewers to keep themselves unique. Do you talk to other brewers? Are you friends? Are you a lot? Do, Many. Is there a lot of collaboration? I mean, do, or do you look at yourself? There is. There is. There is, collab- there is collaboration. Like no. Uh, at least I. At least I don't think so. Mm. Um, but yeah, no. I'm. I'm friends with. Most of the other brewers, I know nearly all of the other brewery owners. Um, not maybe not well, but we all know of each other. We all meet on occasions, and it's a it's a it's a close community. And when it comes to talking about beer, I'm I'm extremely open when it comes to talking about beer to other brewers and things. And and so are many other brewers. 
you just don't talk about the sales side. The, that's when you can uh, talk fight. Talk about the business. But yeah. Talk about the beer. But, but talk about, about the, the beer. Business. Talk about the beer. You know, like I say, it's only in everybody's best interest for everybody to produce great beer and to push everybody else. You know, I, I, I most certainly think when we started with the qualities of beer we produce with our branding, I mean, our branding is way out there, that people looked at us and said, oh, I can't believe they did that. I know of a few other brewery owners who said, like, like, kudos to you. You went and took that leap. You went and created that really kick-ass branding. I mean, our branding's got skulls on. You know, sometimes people walk in here and they go, whoa, there's what's... There's a lot of folklore a... attached to it as well, which I find quite interesting with your beers. Is yeah. There's a lot of local folklore yeah. and stories behind the beer. So yeah. it's... So not more than just giving it a badass name. No, it's 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 the identity behind it. You know, people know us as we're, we're urban brewing company. People know us as the Hot Bay Brew. We that's that's us. Yeah. Um, we support local. Locals support us. Well, I think beer is about friendship, and from another Vat of Wine podcast perspective, we've made a friend yeah. in urban brewery. The badass identity and the <laughs> and the labelling and some fantastic beer and some fantastic insight into into brewing and what brewing is really all about. And I think you just sum it up. It's a personal touch, and it's about the person allowing the beer to do the talking. Thanks for having me on the show. This was yeah. fantastic. This was really cool. I enjoyed it. Uh, and to the listeners out there, you know. If you want to know more, come here. Come have a pint. You'll catch me here 16 days a week, 31 hours a day. After a few beers, that makes sense. <laughs> another vat of wine. We'll see you next time. Thank you.